I'm Kate Daniels. Michael Abelman is foremost a farmer, a vocation that is obviously critical in the world. I'm grateful to have Michael join us this morning to share some insights about special farming projects that he's done in the United States and currently is very involved with on the east side of Vancouver, B.C. This work is beautifully documented in his book, Street Farm, Growing Food, Jobs and Hope on the Urban Frontier. Michael Abelman, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Oh, it's so nice to be with you. And without a doubt, I thank you so greatly for the work that you're doing in this new book, Street Farm, Growing Food, Jobs, and Hope on the Urban Frontier. That in itself captures so much information and is just so amazing. Uh, So again, many thanks for this work that you're doing. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for acknowledging it. Yeah. So this is focused just up the road from us here, just north of us in Vancouver, where this whole particular enterprise began. There's so many other things you do, of course, but Street Farm, uh, actually Soul Farm, is something that just developed uh, within the last decade. So give us kind of an overview of that, if you would, Michael. Certainly, yeah. Well, where we started is uh, in a neighborhood called the downtown east side of Vancouver. And uh, it's a very well-known neighborhood. It's the poorest uh, postal code in Canada. Uh, it's the neighborhood where apparently the term skid row was coined, which is actually a logging term. Um, uh, it's about a 15-square-block area that um, is almost entirely inhabited by folks who are managing some form of long-term addiction, mental illness, uh, uh, as I mentioned, material poverty. And uh, we started this project on a half-acre parking lot next to the Astoria Hotel, one of the uh, boarding houses that has been around for a long time, originally housed out-of-work loggers and fishermen. Um, And uh, our intention was very simple. Uh, uh, It was twofold. Um, Number one, to and primarily to provide um, meaningful work, uh, to individuals who did not have access to that uh, due to various barriers um, to traditional employment. And number two is to actually create and uh, model and provide a credible model of, uh, of urban agriculture. Um, uh, how much food is it possible to grow on a very tiny parking lot? Um, how many people can you employ? Um, is this truly economically viable? How do you uh, address a range of issues that exist in our cities um, uh, that are obstacles to to healthy, safe food production? And so now we are um, uh, five locations, four active, um, almost uh, four and a half acres. Uh, we produce uh, 50,000 pounds of food annually, which is uh, 25 tons um, we employ, uh, at our peak, we've employed 25 to 30 individuals. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we're now, what, seven-plus years into this project uh, and have learned some some hard lessons, have had a few successes, and I tell that story in, in the book. Yeah. And the book... Freshly out, available at all of our favorite book sources. We'll just mention that right at the outside, Street 
Farm. Uh, so definitely full of important, great information that any of us might want to access for use or at least at, for educational purposes. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, the book is not written, it's not a farming book, it's not a how-to book, it's it's actually written for uh, the general public. It's a story of, um, really, of recovery uh, of land uh, and of people uh, and, um, uh, you know, how we did what had never been done on this, certainly on this scale, uh, in uh, the middle of a major city. We worked with municipal government to to work in and around code, municipal codes that uh, do not address this kind of uh, large-scale production, agricultural production. Um, how we um, uh, worked, you know, produced 50,000 pounds of food with the hands of folks who had no agricultural experience and were dealing with a number of various issues. Um, and all of the ups and downs. I mean, it's not a. This is certainly not a um, fluff piece where we're saying, look at us, here's what we did. It's a, it's a pretty honest look at the challenges of doing something pretty insane, really. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, of course, it, uh, there are some beautiful stories of some of the individuals. It's really a, a lot of portraits of their lives and what they've gone through and how this project has affected them. And, uh, uh, yeah. What I find to be so important, and yes, it's had its ups and downs, but here you are, as you said, seven and a half years into the project, and you're moving along other cities, Seattle certainly being, I think, near the top of the list. We're struggling with a huge homeless population and all that goes along with it and all these challenges, and seeing these creative solutions that really have such a common sense to them, food, which of course we all need, making, creating this food, creating gardens in all these spaces that uh, are, like you said, the concrete and the parking lots, which we have an overabundance of. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, we're very clear that we're, you know, we are not um, social workers, we're not psychologists, uh, we're not addiction experts. Um, not, none of us are experts on homelessness or all the other challenges and issues that uh, that uh, the people in the neighborhood that we're working in have to deal with. We are um, simply farmers that have um, uh, offered something very simple, as I mentioned, um, and it really comes down to, uh, in the end, the, the core um, thing that seems to really affect people's lives is uh, meaningful work reason to get up out of bed each day, um, a choice to make between, you know, something that will continue to bring you down and something that's uplifting, that's nourishing the community, um, plants to take care of, uh, living things to take care of that actually depend on you on a day-to-day basis, a community that's relying on the food from you, uh, a community of farmers and the people at the farms that actually uh, depend on you to show up every day. These are such simple things, but they have really prof- uh, profound impacts on people's lives. Um, uh, you know, our work that we are providing is for many people the only meaningful engagement they actually have. And um, so, uh, again, uh, we're, we're not uh, uh, claiming to have uh, created some complex solution to uh, the problems that plague our cities. We've just 
decide to provide some some meaningful work, and its uh, its impact is profound. I think that's where part of the beauty of it is, is that there is a therapy in it that isn't this huge program of, you know, steps meeting with therapists, but just that act of having a responsibility, working in the soil, seeing that growth of the food, something that nourishes themselves along with people. There's something there that's intangible, and yet it is tangible. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I've been, um, I'm 62 years old. I've been commercially farming uh, since I was 18. So this is, a, this is a different kind of project. I usually, I, I also have a large family farm in the region. And I have noticed anecdotally, as have many of my colleagues, that at the end of a day playing in the dirt, and we would certainly as farmers never really describe it that way, but <laughs> for the moment I'll use that description, we feel better. Um, there's something that's going on uh, that none of us really understood scientifically, but there's something physiological going on that takes place after you've had your hands in the soil for a day. And now, of course, uh, over the last 10 or 15 years, there's been a number of studies uh, that have actually demonstrated uh, that there really are actual and demonstrable physical changes and physiological changes, I should say, that take place when people are working with living soil. You know, And um, so I think that's, uh, that's certainly a piece of this uh, that um, uh, is, is really important. And... Um, uh, you know, we hear it all the time from our staff. You know, they they get up, they don't want to go to work, they come in. By the end of the day, they just feel better. And those are the kinds of things that you can't uh, go to the textbook and it says, here, here are the steps. This is what you're going to have a conversation about. There's something about the activity. There's something about nature itself that has a healing Part uh, portion to it. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, especially people living in cities. I mean, we um, there is a uh, marked disconnection for many of us. I mean, most of the world now are urban dwellers. As of the turn of the last century, uh, the um, majority of the world's population certainly are living in, in cities, and the related disconnection from the natural world is really uh, striking. Uh, the results of that were, were we understand to some degree, you know, uh, and so little projects like this uh, do give people the opportunity to reconnect with natural cycle and with natural systems. Uh, obviously, it's, this is not a forest; it's not uh, you know the wilderness, but it is a way to reconnect to um, to those things in nature which we really, all of us, really need in order to be well on every level. Um, and there's another piece. I mean, I, you know, I was just thinking about this. Uh, uh, Wendell Berry, who, who I know, um, wonderful writer and poet, um, uh, talks about the, con- the idea of solving for pattern. Uh, too often when we attempt to solve problems, we uh, often create more problems. Um, when you're looking at creative solutions to deep-seated problems, um, what solutions can we create that actually solve a range of issues, um, a pattern of issues? And the project that we've created is fascinating. Um, 
because it does. It addresses a number of issues, uh, all within with one very simple, elegant solution. Uh, I mean very simple, because it is. <laughs> the scale is huge. The challenges that we face to keep it going are just unbelievable. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. But in many ways, the concept and the idea is simple, it's elegant, and it has addressed um, a, a pattern uh, and a, a range of, of issues that people um, are dealing with. And what is so beautiful about it is the fact that it's working. It's it's showing that in these seven and a half years, you've taken what is kind of like this... Uh, gray blight in an area. And it's art, really, to see the photos, the gorgeous photos in the book here in Street Farm that show us all these beautiful foods that are growing right there and and transforming that space. Yeah, I mean, one of the uh, interviewer from the Vancouver Sun asked me this question about this this amazing... uh, 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 dichotomy between um, the work that we're doing visually and socially and otherwise and the surrounding neighborhood, uh, uh, how um, the striking con- contrast between the two. And I thought about that, that, you know, the question was really, you know, what was so talk, talk about that. And I realized that, um, Pretty much everything we do with this project is uh, deals with dramatic contrast. Um, the neighborhood we're in relative to the what we're actually doing within that neighborhood, the, the, the smells, the sounds, the visuals, um, what people go home to versus what they come to work and experience uh, are so completely different. Um, uh, it's pretty interesting how that uh, has evolved, and I think that uh, we see it when people are walking by or riding riding their bicycles by. Um, uh, They stop and are just amazed. They can't believe (laughs) that such a thing can exist within such a neighborhood, you know. Uh, And um, uh, so I think that um, that's been in many ways, a lot of fun. I'm a very visual person, too, and I I actually have enjoyed um, creating such a visual dynamic within these neighborhoods. I, I, uh, I find it to be a really important piece in the whole thing, and, and one that everyone can share, and not just those who are actually participating in the farming on a day-to-day basis. The, the whole community can look in and and have that visual experience. Yes, because I can see the Sky Train goes right through that area. So it's just like that moment to take a deep breath and say, ah, because it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, and it's, as I said, it's the most, it's, the, the obstacles are considerable. I mean, we, uh, you know, there were no municipal codes that actually addressed large-scale agriculture in the city. So we've had to deal with that, and the cost of that has been extreme. Getting permits, which we have to do like anyone else. Are uh, are extremely expensive. Um, the um, theft and vandalism endless. Uh, we lose and have lost thousands of dollars of equipment and materials, et cetera, uh, each year. And uh, used to be it was just that kind of stuff, and it was mostly for drug money. And uh, now, recently, in this year, we've noticed that um, 
people are beginning to steal the food, which in, I used to say I look forward to. <laughs> I'd rather have them do that, but now it's happening on a pretty extreme scale. Uh, the um, the challenges of growing on land that is either paved or too contaminated to actually grow in native soils as uh, requires a very expensive uh, infrastructure. We've we've been very innovative, and in fact, the boxes that we've designed and had manufactured are um, being looked at by individuals all over the world um, because of their movability, the fact that they isolate the growing medium from pavement or contaminated soils. They're stackable and nestable and uh, can have interconnected drains, a lot of interesting uh, innovation in terms of that technology. Uh, and then, of course, um, uh, the value of the space itself. Um, <clears throat> you know, land in most urban cities now, or especially along the coast, extremely valuable, and landowners do not want to tie it up in farms. So our box system is also movable on short notice. They have forklift tabs, and, you know, allows us to move, and we've had to create lease, leases that address um, short-term uh, and quick moves when landowners need their land back. And, of course, then the social piece, you know, just... Uh, uh, you know, if you, we had chosen to do an urban agriculture project just as a business, you know, you would hire people who have those skills, who you know you can depend on in a more traditional manner. But that was not our goal. So, so when you put all those things together, uh, it's a it's been a, a very challenging thing to pull together. Uh, and I think the book, uh, the Street Farm book, is really um, hopefully a, a real look. What does it really take to do something that's truly agricultural? This is not; these are not gardens. These are production farms, providing employment and production quantities of food. But to get beyond the romance of this and say, okay, here's what it really takes to do this, and here's the challenges that you're going to face, because I think that there is a great need for urban agriculture and food production in the city. But there's also a lot of romanticism about what that means. Okay, so we're not going to look at the romanticism of it, although there's still the value in it, I, I feel, from the stories that you share and all the descriptions that and photos that we see in the book Street Farm. So getting away from that, and it's a, a challenge with funding, but governments give money. They really dole out a lot of money, taxpayer money, to farmers all over the country, both in Canada and the U.S., is there not money that they would see would be well spent to support this, maybe make those uh, leases and that kind of paperwork not so costly? <laughs> Crazy. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, you've touched an important topic here. Well, I, you know, first of all, I should say, yeah, just to reinforce what you pointed out, I mean, historically in the U.S., which is where I come from originally, I ran projects like this in, in California and Watts and neighborhoods like that, which make the downtown east side look pretty friendly. Uh, but historically in the States, I mean, we have a system, um, subsidy system where, you know, farmers were, you know, uh, um, farms, mostly in, uh, large-scale industrial farms, were receiving uh, somewhere around $46 million a day in uh, uh, farm subsidies. Um, and uh, this is a staggering number. Uh, of course, Eaters, people who are buying food, are paying for that in many hidden ways, certainly when they leave the checkout counter. But we also in Canada have had some level of that, but none of that money has gone towards this project. A few years ago, Queen's University 
did a study on the project and uh, determined that for every dollar we paid our employees, there was a $2.20 savings to the healthcare system, the legal system, the social assistance system. This is a pretty profound number. I was I was hoping to see, you know, what are the external values of our financial values of the work that we're doing. Uh, and yet, we don't receive a penny from the government for the work we do. We are certainly owned by a registered charity that uh, I help start. I have to still raise a fair amount of money every year, uh, but most of that is coming from private family foundations, some in the U.S. as well. We get some U.S. money and in Canada, but nothing from the government itself, and I think this is something that probably has to change. We produce half of our budget every year is through products grown and sold, which is an impressive number, but the other half of the budget, in order to support the social component, uh, we have to fundraise for, and that's a big job. Well, in terms of that, let's take a moment to let our listeners know how they can participate in this fundraising component to really support something that I think we've already heard is such an incredible project and incredible in terms of the needs and the changes that it is providing in a community. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I don't want to be too shameless here, but... (laughs) But certainly, um, we do rely on some level of public support uh, for what we do. An easy way to support us, of course, is to buy the book, Street Farm, because uh, that does, number one, it informs and inspires you about the work we're doing, but some of those funds do filter back into the charity, which is really good. Of course, you can do that either through a publisher, Chelsea Green, and I believe their website is uh, chelseagreen.com, I believe. Uh, you can go to our website, Soul Food, and that's S-O-L-E, foodfarm.com, soulfoodfarms.com. And again, S-O-L-E, foodfarms, plural.com. And there is a way to donate through our website. We have a number of events taking place in the next few months, a wonderful dinner on October 6th in the Urban Orchard. We have a one-acre production orchard, which is now 15, 17 feet tall, <laughs> towering overhead, and we're going to be setting up tables in the middle of that orchard at one of the busiest street corners in Vancouver, and uh, five of Vancouver's uh, best chefs are going to be preparing a meal, and that's going to be a wonderful fundraiser that's listed on our website as well, October 6th. And certainly, we encourage people to come and actually see what we're doing. Uh, Seattle is not that far from uh, Vancouver. We are, of course, heading into winter, so things are not as prime and active as they are in the spring and summer, but uh, we welcome visitors. And so things aren't as active, but we still are really fortunate in this area to have a fairly mild season. You probably have greenhouses, right? We do. We have 16,000 square feet of high tunnel, unheated high tunnel houses. And for those of your listeners who are not familiar with those, it's a very important piece of very extremely simple technology. It's just steel frames with a sheet of plastic over the top, but it adds enough protection and season extension, as we describe it, to allow us to grow certainly throughout the year and enhance our shoulder seasons, our spring and fall and early winter production. We also do continue to grow things outside throughout the winter, even without protection. So uh, you're right that the northwest, coastal northwest, is of course quite moderate and mild and allows for year-round production. So, Michael, when you think of the experiences with the people that you've worked with from the east side with this project over the last years, 
Is there a story or a couple of people who maybe come to mind as lives really changed by being involved in the project? Absolutely. I mean, uh, well, first of all, I have, there's a wonderful, um, wonderful quote at the uh, opening of the book. It's kind of the opening quote for the book. It's from <clears throat> that film called The Imitation Game, and it's um, sometimes it is the people no one imagines anything of who do the things that no one can imagine. And I, I put that at the front of the book because I think it really is uh, – kind of emblematic of the story because what we did was kind of unimaginable in scale, in um, reach. Uh, And it was done by people uh, previously who were not, uh, you know, certainly looked at as kind of low-life losers. Um, If you walk down or drive down Hastings Street on the downtown east side of Vancouver, it can be broad daylight or nighttime. It doesn't matter. You'll see you see someone on the sidewalk with a needle in their arm, uh, which does happen in broad daylight, or somebody pirouetting in the middle of the street high on crack, you make judgments. Uh, we all do. Um, we all ha- carry our prejudices. Um, you can't help it. But each one of those individuals has a heart and a soul and um, the desire to do something meaningful in the world, and it's given uh, an opportunity. And uh, that's what we've done. And the result of that for people like, well, Alan is a great example. I mean, Alan came to us pretty much uh, at the beginning of the project, addicted to crack, raising two children who were not his own, one with fetal alcohol syndrome, an amazing person, and thinking that his job with soul food was going to be just a temporary thing. And he's now still with us seven plus years later, is a supervisor, is one of the best farm workers I've ever seen, and I've worked in the farming world for, for actually over 40 years. I would hire him on my own family farm. Is passionate about the work he's doing, has kind of cleaned up his life, and is, he, in fact, he came with me. We got a fundraiser the other night. He's extremely articulate about his experience. I would consider one of the people that are a real success story, and there are others as well. You know, we didn't get into this to save anyone or to even get people off of drugs. That was not the intent. It was, again, just really simply to provide a community for them to participate in, a meaningful engagement, meaningful work, and some new skills that they could use in their lives. And our staff have done anything that any miracles or changes that have taken place have been done by them, not by us. And I always have to remind myself that we're just simply setting the table. They have done the rest. And I think that's what we can always only hope to do is provide the opportunities to people, which could be any of us, because they've slipped through the cracks for one reason and another. But to have this option and to have an opportunity to turn our life around, what more could we ask for, really? Yeah, and, you know, the thing that, I've noticed is that it doesn't take much. It's one simple life change, a divorce, a death in the family, a health crisis for people's lives to go off the rails. And um, it can happen to any of us. There is a very thin line that separates any of us from that experience that I see played out on the streets of the downtown east side every day. Um, And, you know, I'm acutely aware of that. And 
helps me to remember that our lives are precarious, our existence on Earth is precarious. Some of us have been born with a little more privilege. Maybe it was financial, maybe we're just landed in the right family. But it does not take much to send us off the edge, and that's what we've noticed. And uh, people who have ended up on the streets or dealing with major addiction are no different than any of the rest of us. And so sometimes the simplest little helping hand makes a big difference. Absolutely. And the way that each of us right now can be part of making a difference and really informing ourselves more greatly is getting our own copy of Street Farm, Growing Food, Jobs, and Hope on the Urban Frontier. And there's so much more I think we could discuss, but time is uh, not our friend at the moment. I thank you so greatly for this work that you're doing and wish great success. Thank you so much for taking the time to have me on. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome.